Welcome to the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best doubles strategies to improve your game and win more matches. I'm your host, Will Bocek. This podcast, my website, and my weekly newsletter all focus on the goal of better understanding the sport of doubles and helping players like you improve faster through actionable advice that you can use in your very next match. My goal is to provide the best doubles strategy resources in the world. And to do that, I study, analyze, and work with players at every level of the game, all the way up to the ATP and WTA tours. If you enjoy this podcast, I've created double strategy products that go even deeper if you want to take your doubles knowledge to the next level. At the end of this episode, I'll explain more about them, or if you want to learn more now, go to thetennistribe.com slash products. Here's today's episode. Hey everyone, today... I'm going to do another rebroadcast for you. I haven't done one of these in a while, um, but this is one of the original episodes on the podcast, so I know a lot of you probably have not heard it before, uh, but it's one of the best strategy interviews that I've done as well. So it is my interview with Craig O'Shaughnessy. Uh, I've mentioned Craig a lot on the show before. He's been um, kind of a tennis mentor to me. He's influenced my own thinking about tennis a lot. Uh, he's a big data and analytics guy. He used to work with Novak Djokovic uh, and has worked with Matteo Berrettini, the Italian Federation, Wimbledon, um, and he writes for the ATP Tour still today. So this conversation is from back in 2020, and we talk about how Craig divides up the doubles court. It's not where you're covering the deuce court, I'm covering the ad court. Um, He thinks about it a little bit differently than that. He talks about his center window concept. uh, What should the ideal doubles point be? He has some tips for serve and return strategy, as well as covering the lob uh, and a lot more. So this is um, one of the best strategy interviews uh, in my mind that we've had on the podcast. And I know since a lot of you are new to the show, you probably haven't heard this before. And if you have, it's a good good, uh, refresher for you. Um, I feel like I'm still kind of catching up from the WTA finals. I had a new project uh, come up last week that I've been working on this week with the TCU women's uh, tennis team. We've been working on a lot of doubles, so I'm going to have more new content for you next week, but for this week, uh, definitely um, a good refresher with Craig here. So without further delay, enjoy this rebroadcast edition uh, with my interview with Craig O'Shaughnessy. Today we have Craig O'Shaughnessy, who is an ATP Tour strategy coach. Um, Craig, why don't you kind of tell the audience about yourself? A lot of this is going to be doubles players who um, are USTA players, may not be familiar with what you do on tour. So uh, just real briefly, 30 seconds to a minute. Uh, Yes, so um, grew up playing tennis in Australia. Uh, Aubrey grass courts, 25 grass courts, just had such a... uh, magnificent time learning our sport there came over and played college tennis uh, at Baylor University um, and then got into coaching so you know a lot of you play at clubs three five four oh four five level um, I've done two decades of coaching you guys and uh, whether it's specific drills you know a one player out on the court working on their volleys or working on returns or doubles teams together um, I love to do that and even having four players play practice sets and coaching during that and videoing it. So, um, 
Now I specialize in strategy. Uh, I have a website, braingametennis.com, and I'm the strategy analyst for Wimbledon, the um, the ATP Tour, the New York Times, and uh, doubles is my gig. I love doubles, and um, I'm really happy to be talking to the world today and looking forward to sharing as much as I can with you. Awesome. So, yeah, I know the last few years, so you, you were on Novak Djokovic's strategy team. Uh, last year, you started working with Berrettini in singles and, and helped his team bring him from outside the top 50 all the way to the, the ATP finals. Um, so you're really, at least from what I've seen the past few years, known for your singles, but you do have two doubles courses on your site. I know you've worked with doubles players in the past. Yeah. Talk about your experience um, on tour with doubles as well. Yeah, uh, I love doubles. You know, I'm always encouraging the players that I'm working with to play doubles. Um, I think Rajiv Ram was a guy that I coached for a while. He had drifted out to about 180, and the next year I worked with him and got him back inside um, the top 100. And uh, I think it was, that was around 2011. Um, it was a while ago now, but um, during that run, uh, at Wimbledon, he made the quarterfinals and uh, lost to the Bryans in five sets, caught one, really high-class, high-quality match. Um, so doubles is, is something that I greatly enjoy coaching. You know, in singles, strategy is, you know, very specific. You've got two players. There's, there's not as many things going on. Um, you know, back at the court is a very big deal. In doubles... There's a lot more what ifs. What if the lefty's playing the juice court? What if the strength is is out wide? Should I go here? Should I go there? It's a, it's a lot of what ifs and a lot of scenarios. So when I'm coaching doubles, it's like okay, if if we have this set of um, players and maybe they're all righties and the weakness is here and the serve goes here, so you've got to get a lot more specific coaching doubles than singles because there's just you know with four players on the court, there's a lot more happening. So you nail those specifics down. Um, you understand the percentages of the game. And, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, there's a big reason why it's the number one played um, game over singles at club levels. It's, you know, it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of fun to be out there on the court with, with, um, with your friends as well. So double strategy, right. I think we'll get more into here, is, um, you know, it's a big part of my website as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that reminds me like one, there's one thing I t always tell my readers um, in singles, there's, there can be some kind of like blanket rules that always apply, but in doubles, that's really not the case because there's so many more variables. Yeah. Um, exactly. Just one, one lefty instead of a righty, like you said, can completely change everything, you know, yeah. or if, if somebody on the court has a, a stronger backhand for some reason, mm -hmm. um, or if they're not as strong. Which, which would not be me by be. the way. <laughs> Yeah, not most people, not me as well. I, actually, well, I'll tell you a little secret. I've started hitting it really well. I copied Warinka, and I see Stan mm. just, he just goes, ah, oh, with that grip and just gets it all the way around. I'm like, I'll yeah. copy it. I'll do the same. I get all the way around. I'm like, I'm hit my back end. Okay, right now. <laughs> I've tried to start hitting mine like Rafa and just spin it in. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that may work. I, I, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I don't know. Um, so let's, let's dive into some of your uh, doubles content. So you've got two courses on the site. You have the yes. 25 golden rules of doubles. Yes. Uh, I, I've gone through both of these. They're really, really good. Um, and then you've got doubles numbers, which is a little bit more data driven. So for people who are 
um, a little bit more into kind of the numbers and the statistics, um, that might be a good fit for them. Uh, let's start with the, the golden rules of doubles. Give people kind of an overview of, of what that course is about and, and maybe your favorite rule out of those 25 or, or two or three. Yeah, sure. Um, well, what we have there is, you know, we cut the court up into different areas. You know, the, the worst thing about doubles is that, that line down the middle for the serve. So in dartfish, um, you know, I, I can recreate the court. So, you know, I'm like, well, here's a doubles court. And it's simply just here's the baseline, here's the doubles line, and here's the other baseline. So, you know, when you get rid of the singles lines and you get rid of the serve lines, um, it's just this big paddock of an area. So when you look at it, it's like, well, you know, being at the net is good. Um, but a really important thing about doubles is that you must approach it like beach volleyball. And beach volleyball, you have a person at the back and they're the setter. They're, that's their only role. They're setting, setting, setting. Um, the person at the front, they're the spiker. So doubles is essentially the same thing. Um, the doubles numbers course, I'll just pop over there for a second. That's based on all the analytics from the 2015 Australian Open. For the men, it was won by Fignini and Borelli. So importantly, those two guys, they stay back. They serve and stay back, and they've got good groundies. So, you know, the old way of, of playing doubles and coaching doubles was let's serve and get to the net. Let's have two at the net. Um, and even with two at the net, you're staggered a little bit. The player, the ball's over on the left, the player on our team that's a little bit to the left, they're the front and the middle player. So what I like to see there is that, you know, who covers the, the, the middle area? When you get rid of all the lines, it's like, you know, the, the worst way to think of doubles is that's your side and that's my side. The mm -hmm. worst way. Um, right. th th you also have an element of I'm front and you're back. So Fignini and Bolelli are playing back, but they're still setting and spiking. The player that's back still trying to hit a ball to set up the player at the net. Um, before it was kind of two up, setting and spiking. Now it's one up, one back, setting and spiking. They both work. Um, but once you get rid of the lines, it's like, okay, you know, what's the best way to look at it? And I have these kind of angles that go across. So, um, you know, you may be able to, to add a picture of that from the website. Um, well, yeah, I'll add that below the video. Yeah. So, you know, you've got this, this, this rectangle, but there's a line that goes across that basically says, if I'm the net player, I can go to the middle. I can even go to the front on the yeah, I'm short, I'll go back a little bit, but if the lob is deep, my partner's going to get it. So this line really helps you understand what's my territory and what's not, and everything is predicated on an area that I call the center window. So the center window is, is based off this short video that I have. It was the Bryan brothers playing Ehrlich and Ram in Las Vegas 15 years ago. And I used Artfish once again to create this window, virtual window, right above the net. So the way I measure it is like, okay, I've got to have the dimensions. So the width of an alley is um, three foot six. So we take off that center line, we measure one alley width there, we measure another alley width there. So we've basically got a nine foot wide um, area. And again, we're right above the net. So we go nine foot um, right in the middle of the net. And the height of the net in the middle is three foot high. So we go up another three feet. So we've got this nine by three rectangle dead in the middle of the court, right above the net. Right. And when you watch this point, the serve goes through there. And right as it goes through there, you know, I've created this virtual area. It kind of leaves a black dot. So it's like it passes through there and, and leaves an image. 
and the return comes through, and the next ball, 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 and the next ball is about nine, nine shots. All four players hit the ball, and every single shot goes through the center window. Right. So the important thing to understand for doubles is control that area. That area matters more than anything else. It's not the alley. It's not the lob. Initially, it's all about that center window. So um, that's a big one. It's kind of forget the lines. Yeah. Um, and cover that middle area. And that video shows it very, very well. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I saw that video, I, I was like blown away. I was, I, uh, it, it was early on in my writing for, for the Tennis Tribe. Um, and I had a small following here mm -hmm. uh, in Austin of some doubles players. And I would tell them, you know, we don't need to be covering the alley so much. We don't need to be covering the alley so much. Mm -hmm. And then uh, once I met you and started taking some of your courses, I saw that center window and I was like, yeah, that's it. Like, that's the thing I've been like trying to find. Yeah. Um, yeah, it really, it really blew me away. So a couple things you touched on there. One is um, the two back. So you mentioned that players are starting to do that a little bit more on the pro level. And I, I guess I might be kind of challenging some of my own advice um, to get forward. I, I tell my readers really get forward, get forward. And, and I've seen a, interview with the Bryans recently who have said, you know, especially on second serves, it's tough to serve in volley now because returners are getting so good at, at, you know, blasting the ball at your feet. So what is your advice for players who are at more that club level on getting forward versus playing two back? When should we do it? Yeah. So the first thing to understand is there's no wrong or right. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're kind of looking for a better and a better may involve the skill set. So, you know, over the last decade, volleys have been taught less. Um, we have this idea that getting to the net in singles and doubles isn't so great. You know, and if the volley technique is a little weaker and, and comparatively, you know, the volleys are down, but the forehands and backhands are up. You know, we're, we're, we're doing well there. Um, mm -hmm. So if you stay back and rip a ball, you're getting a little bit better of a shot against a little bit weaker of a volley. So that's right. one dynamic is that I'd rather hit my big forehand versus your weak volley. Mm -hmm. So we have that certainly as part of it. But from in the doubles numbers course, when we look at where the winners are hit and where the errors are hit, so essentially in doubles, and again, this is 2015 Australian Open where this data is derived from, but it's very representative at all levels. So errors in doubles still occur in basically a 50-50 nature 50% at the net and 50% at the back of the court. That, that They happen pretty much everywhere. But the mm -hmm. winners still, and again, this is players that are staying one up and one back a lot. The winners were still over 80% at the net. So when we see the one back and one up, and in your advice saying, you know, get to the net's a good thing, it is, but we're, we're dissecting the two players a little bit. It's like we still need one. We've got to have one person there that's, mopping up that center window area and the, the person at the back their role is to hit a ball you know I had this other saying in an ideal point in doubles you never hit the ball twice in a row you hit the ball it, it's like in beach volleyball you're not going to do three sets on your own or right. three spikes on your own you set once and it's spiked once you hit a ball from the back of the court that makes the opponent uncomfortable that draws the ball back to the middle of the court so your partner at the, at the net can go and get that center, that center window ball. So 
That's really what it's all about. In general, the serving team wants to kick a ball in the middle of the court because the ball in the middle will gravitate back down the middle. In general, the returning team wants more chaos and wants a wider point to, to keep that initial attack by the service partner at bay. Right. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And another follow-up question that I think I know the answer to, uh, but I know a lot of the listeners are, are thinking it is, these numbers are great because they're from the Australian Open. They're the pro level. Yeah. I'm a 3-5 player. I'm a 4-0 player. Yeah. Uh, does this stuff apply to me too? And I know you've looked at the data for both, so just talk on th- that uh, really briefly. Yeah, so the way to think of the difference between this is, um, you know, it, uh, let's take some nice round numbers to, to just understand it. Let's say you serve at 70 miles an hour and the, on average and the Brian serve at 100 miles an hour. And, and let's say in general all of their shots happen at 100 miles an hour and all of your shots at a 4 level happen at 70 miles an hour. So instead of looking up at them and going, okay, how can I copy them and what they're doing, Imagine having this Dartfish software again and we bring it in there and we're watching the brines, but we bring their speed down to 70%. Now all of a sudden, the speed of, you know, we play it side by side, the speed of your serve is the same as the brines. The speed of the return is the same as your opponent's. We bring them down to your speed level because ultimately the, the big difference between club level and pro level is the speed of the racket and the speed of the feet. So let's just say, okay, let's just bring them back. Let's bring yeah. the Bryans down to 70 miles an hour. What would we see? What would we see at our level? Um, you know, you could also imagine is that, you know, you are going to go play the Bryans. You're on one side, we've got the Bryan brothers on the other. And we have a, a, a speed gun. And we say, you know, our max level is 70 miles an hour. If you hit a ball above 70 miles an hour, we've got to replay the point. It doesn't count. So now the Bryans have got to play at your speed. Mm-hmm. So now it's still the same patterns of play. It's still the server primarily going down the middle of the court. It's still the net player cutting into the center window. It's still the same patterns at your club as it is um, on center court at the, at the U.S. Open. It's not a different game. It's the same game. It's the same patterns. Um, yes, your skill level will be less. Yes, you know, we've taken care of the speed level and brought it down. You'll make a few more errors but run the same patterns. And a lot of this comes from, you know, running academies all over the world with juniors and, and coaching adults. And, you know, people would say, well, can you coach a kid or can you coach a 3-5 or a 4-0 to copy the best patterns of play from the pro two? I'm like, I don't know, but I can <laughs> experiment and try. And I've had, again, two decades of trying and experiment. I do it all the time. It works. Right, right. And, and we've got... Um... I know you've worked with uh, Warren over at Tennis Analytics, and he he has the data on the, these three, five, yes. and four players, and, and yes. it really doesn't change that much. The rally yeah. length is still under four. Yeah, um, it's it really is is about the same as the pro level. Um, so it's it's really really fascinating. Um, so let, let's talk serve strategy. So again, yeah. we're we're a three, five, four player. Um, yeah. What would you say overall, you know, what should be our game plan uh, as far as serve strategy? How should we think about that? The, the pros, you, you're, first of all, you're going to make more, make more first serves in doubles than you will in singles. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, at the pro level, they're making around 62%, 61%. You know, you want to be in between 65 and 70. 
The reason is you've got somebody at the net that's there to help you. So it's like a switch on your back. I like to think of it as like, I've got a partner at the net and I'm serving. When I serve and I make it, I hit, I flick that light on. They go, boom, my mind, there's light everywhere yeah. and they can play. They're activated. As soon as I put that first serve in the net, I'm turning them off. So now it's very difficult for them to help me. So yes, she wants to make more first serves. And yes, she wants to serve more at the body and middle. A serve in the middle will come back down the middle and the service partner has first access to the center window. So that's a big one to start with. In the deuce court, most players, most returners are going to return there because their forehand returns better. Um, and most players will return in the ad court because they make more returns. So deuce court, you're going to serve body backhand and tee a lot. But in the ad court, you need some discovery to figure out where the weaker side is. Is it their forehand? Is it their backhand? Is it the jam? It's not as obvious in the ad court. Um, but you're always serving to bring the ball back and set up the service partner at the net. And right. you know, I remember coaching in Dallas um, for eight years. I was at, at, at the T-Bone Racket Club there and coaching men and coaching women. And, you know, there'd be a serve go in and the person at the net goes across and hits the volley winner. And they're all happy. They're like, oh, I just hit the volley winner. I feel great. And I bring them together. I'm like, well, you know, you're the happy one at the net, but I'm only giving you 20% of the credit for winning the point. And they're like, oh, really? <laughs> and they're like, well, where does the rest go? I'm like, the rest goes to the server because the serve jammed and bought the ball to you and you just mopped up at the net. So, you know, it's always, right. it's always teamwork. It's always the back player making the front player look good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's a... A good concept that I'm always trying to encourage my readers to to think about is, you know, what happened the shot or two before the point ended, you know, whether it was a, a winner or an error, you know, what happened earlier on one, two, three shots before that actually set up that, uh, that ending shot and how can you do it differently if you lost the point, things like that. Yeah. Um, Awesome. So one thing you touched on is the ad side. It's a little bit more nuanced. There's a little bit more complexity to it. Um, one thing I encourage people to do is experiment with eye formation in Australian on the ad side a little bit. Yes. Um, what do you think about that? Um, I would say um, Australian's better. So what mm. the, the reason is, in general, the better returners playing in the ad, they're going to make mm -hmm. more cross court. And in general... Right. You know, historically, the better backhand return plays in the ad. So, you know, I'm a lefty and I love to serve out there um, and, and I can do well. But let's say, you know, typically we've got a righty. The righty serves to the backhand. The problem for the serving team now is you've got an upgraded backhand return coming back cross court a lot. The other problem is your righty partner at the net has got their weaker volley there. It's a backhand volley. Right. So they can't do nearly as much with it. So the dynamic is return is better, volley is weaker. Not easy. And there's some big points. Right. I mean, over, you know, without no ad, if we just play normal scoring, it's 75%. Mm -hmm. No ad changes that completely. Um, but if you play Australian in the, in the ad court and mm -hmm. you, you, the server goes a little closer to the middle, right. the service partner changes over and stands basically right in front of you, um, you know, up near the net. Now... You've taken away the natural cross-court angle that the returner likes, so that's advantage for the serving team. You're now 
positioning a forehand volley for the serving team. So that's two benefits. And you're making them hit it down the line where they don't like it. There's three benefits. And if it comes to my forehand at the back of the court, there's four benefits. Right. What, what's there not to like? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a great, um, great strategy on the ad side. I find, especially I'll, I'll play against teams and I return myself from the ad side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and returning is, um, we won't talk about serving, but returning is, is a strength of my game. So I'll return on the ad side. And there's so many teams I'll get into a rhythm cross court backhands and yeah. they'll never try it. And, and some teams try it and it really throws me off. I mean, it's, yeah. it's definitely well, a great, yeah, great way to change it up. Angle. Yeah. Tougher. You have to like push it up the line. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a lot uh, lower percentage shot, a lot higher risk for sure. Um, so let, let's talk about return. So what about return strategy? Yeah. So the, the first thing is, against the first serve, you know, always let's start with the, the base platform of let's make the return. You mm-hmm. know, let's put that return. There's more return errors because there's more threat. There's more threat at the net in doubles right. than there is in singles. People are pressing a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they are. They absolutely are. So we want to put more in play. Um, if you can return down the middle of the court, again, the serving team has first right to the center window. So in the juice court, if you've got a righty, it's the forehand volley. In the ad court, it's the backhand volley. But let's say they're a little sleepy. Let's say they're a little slow. Let's say they don't trust their volleys a lot. Let's say they don't move well. So what you want to do, again, I talked about earlier, the returning team generally wants to create angle and create havoc. And the more you get this weird broken point, the more the returning team will win that point. But there's the other. The other side over here is if you can return middle, again, now that's going to draw the ball down the middle. The returner's partner who's standing right behind this, the service line in a basically neutral to defensive manner, if it gets part, that ball goes right through the center window, the, the service partner doesn't get to hit it. Now it's game on, game on yeah. for the returning side because the returner's partner says, I've got to hold here because the service partner's a threat. The ball goes right by the service partner. The returner's partner goes, great. And I call it the J, and it's the shape of a J, where you initially go straight to the net and then you cut. And so if you go too early, you're going to get beaten down the line. If you go to the line, you'll never come back. And, and uh, in a C, you'll never come back and get to the center window. So you do a J. Returner's partner gets past the server. You go in, you go in. You're faking like you're covering that. You're faking like, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not really a threat over there. And then right as they hit it, that's where you go to that center window area. So um, be aggressive on second serve returns. Make a lot of first serves. Get inside the server's head to figure out where they're serving. Have a really good understanding of the net player and how much of a threat they are to poach. Um, I, what I love to do, if you did this, this is an experiment for, for the people that are watching here. The first service game, do this for the entire rest of this year once we get back out on court. Um, in the very first service game, I want you to take one of the first two returns straight down the line. I don't care if you win. I don't even care if you put it in the court. Um, because what you're trying to do is stop the service partner being such a threat in that center window area. So first game, even first point, serve comes to you, you go bang, straight down the line. You win the point, bonus. You lose the point, it's 15 love. But now for the entire next hour and a half, the service partner's like, are they going line? Are they going line? Are they going line? 
And right. now you've opened up the center of the court for, for the remainder of the match. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to, um, uh, one of the thing, one of my favorite plays returning is, is actually when my partner is returning and I'm at the net. When I see, like you said, when I see that return go past the net player, mm-hmm. I just jump on it and I'm all over the net, um, especially if it's a, a serve and volley player. He gets down to their feet. They have yes. to lift it up. It's just it's such a fun, uh, fun yeah. play as the returner's partner yeah. um, and, and a good strategy, you know, to really kind of control that center window. Um, uh, one little thing with that, Will, was a, yeah. a lot of players, a huge mistake as the returner's partner they make is turning around to watch their partner hit the return. Yeah. And by the time their eyes come back, it's too late. So right. your eyes are, first of all, the player's serving, and then your eyes can come equal and call that line, but then your sure. eyes go straight across to the service partner, and you're watching them. And as soon as it gets by them, you go and your, your eyes follow the ball and you go in. Right. So rarely, rarely in doubles should you watch your partner strike the ball. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you're you're looking for that that server's partner to to start moving forward. You know, if you see their eyes light up and then moving forward, especially yeah. if they're sitting on a forehand volley, it, that, that could be trouble. And that's when you kind of back up to play defense. Versus if they have a backhand volley, you can kind of stay more aggressive. Um, yeah. One thing that my uh, my college coach, he was a, a pro doubles player and played at Wimbledon and stuff like that. He always told us to. Uh, it, it's kind of like the center window, but he always just said net strap, net strap, like yes. hit it just over that center net strap. Um, and that's, that's kind of a good way to think about it. You know, if you can keep the return low over that center net strap, mm-hmm. it's a really, really good, um, good strategy. If you can do it consistently, even if the opposing team is able to, if that net player is able to hit a few winners off it, it's okay. If you make returns consistently, you're going to break eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, taking maybe a little power off sometimes and adding more spin to make it dip, sure. make them have to hit up. Right. Absolutely. So a couple more common questions that I get from readers. So again, we're, we're talking about the, this three Oh to four Oh level, um, a few four or five players, a lot of them have trouble with the lob, right? It's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to tell them, Hey, get to the net, um, you know, you know, play, play up tight there. Uh, hit, you can, close out, hit some winners. Um, they always say, you know, but I always get lobbed. You know, if I serve, then I hit a forehand, then I come in behind it, I always get lobbed. How, how do we deal with that? How do you think about that? I'm a huge fan of the lob. I, I teach it a lot. Um, it, it stops players that are ultra aggressive being all over the court um, and all over the net. Mm-hmm. From your side of, of the court, you really want to assign, you know, the, the big the big advantage of, you know, you've got your court and then you, you slice it across here so right. that one player is staggered in front and one player is staggered behind. So, you know, I, I struggle with this playing a lot of doubles, um, you know, in, in college and as a junior, you know, and, and we at least we have rules, but we make up a rules like cover your own lob. So... Well, is that is that really really true? I don't I don't know. If that's really true, but at least right. it's a rule. At least we've got something. So once we start, it's kind of a domino effect of, of what's the most important thing on the court. The most important thing on the court is the center window. So the number one role of the service partner and the returners partner is to gravitate to the center's win, center window 
and cut off balls and take ownership there. That's number one. So because of that, we're giving them, it's like, this is your number one job. Obviously, you can't be really good at the front and the back. You just can't. So what happens is that the, the other thing is, it's, the net is about being sneaky and it's about setting ambushes. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. Bang, got the volley winner. Right. So starting, let's say the service partner, you start dead in the middle of the service box. If the serve is good, if you look over at the returner and they're in trouble, you're going to start small little split steps and gravitate to the net strap and gravitate to cutting that ball off at an angle. If, the, if there's a lob coming and the lob is short, I'm going to take it. You know, if it's going to land in the service box or probably within a meter um, past the, the service box, that's my ball. But if the lob is good and the lob is deep, no longer is it my ball. It's my partner's ball. I can't cover the center window and the front of the court and, and the left side as well as the back of the court. So once you establish um, the, the three areas, there's I'm a left or a right player, I'm a front or a back player, or I'm a middle player. And, and what the 25 Golden Rules of Doubles does is that the first thing we want to do is establish you and create some ownership for the middle. So once we create the middle, it, it makes everything follow on and say, okay, I'm a middle and a front, which means I'm not a back. So right. you know, if you find yourself getting lobbed too much in a match, it's possible either it's one of two things. Your, your opponent's really good at the strategy, congrats to them, or you're just giving it away so much that you're, you're too aggressive and you're telegraphing it. So um, if lobbying from an opposing team is, is a real issue, maybe as a service partner you stand back a step mm-hmm. and, and you cover that. It's like, well, I'm going to do everything I can to get this center window area, but I need to shut down this lob return or these lobs in a rally. The other thing is lobbing is done from the baseline. So if somebody's a good lobber, why in the world are you hitting a return deep back to them at the baseline anyway? Lobbers don't want to be at the net. They're not going to serve in volley. They love to stay back. So hit it short. Hit, it, hit a short low ball and bring them in and shrink the court and make it shorter so that those lobs are going to fly out the back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the one thing you said that I liked a lot was um, you started to kind of prioritize things. And that's what, one thing, like we talked about earlier, how doubles is kind of complex and there's so many factors we have to decide what's our top priority, right? You yeah. can't cover everything all the time. So our top priority has got to be that center window. Um, and from there, we can prioritize the next thing, which might be, you know, this team's pretty good at lobbying. So um, how are we going to handle that? Um, and with prioritizing the center window in mind, w- one thing I tell a lot of people is obviously one factor is your mobility, right? A, l- a lot of people, you know, if, if they're, older three, five players and they're not as mobile as they used to be or something like that. You know, you have to choose, you know, which partner is going to be able to physically cover the lob. Um, but also because that center window is so important, a lot of players at that level don't have a strong backhand volley. So if they get in a position where both players are at the net, I like to say whoever has the forehand volley in the middle, just stay up on the net and let them kind of cover that middle ball. Um, and then the other player can can take the back as well. Yeah. One thing that just popped into my head that I used Mm -hmm. to do all the time in college, all the time, um, we'd be in the warm up, And, you know, I I like to be the first to the net in the warm up and kind of say, hey, I'm going to own this. Uh, And if up there, warm my volleys up. 
then the other team will come up and all I'm doing is probing. I'm looking at the grip. Is the grip wrong? Is it too Eastern? Uh, I'm hitting them high forehand volleys, I'm hitting low forehand volleys, I'm hitting low. I'm probing to see where they're weak and where they're making errors and where the grip is. And then after that, when we go to serves, I turn around to my partner and I say, how good does your, your guy volley? And what we do is we establish immediately. So there's four possible volleys on the other side. There's yeah. the guy on the left I warmed up with and there's the guy on the right that my partner warmed up with. So we find out of those out of there out of those four volleys where's the weakest, and it's typically going to be a backhand volley from one of those players. Right. So what we then establish then is when we get in a rally, and they're at net, and I can hit the ball anywhere, anywhere. I can go line. I can go cross. I'm going to hit, and my partner knows this now, which is even more important. My partner and I are both on the same page that when we get a ball that can go anywhere, we're going at that guy's backhand volley every stinking time. And then before it's hit, I I can already start moving in that direction. And you look at it and say, well, why is Craig going over there? The ball hasn't been hit. It shouldn't go there. It's like, no. In this situation, we're going to pick on that weak volley. So we want a lot of points by establishing who had the weak volley and, and knowing that when when you have plenty of time, um, you know, that's where you go. Um, when I was at T-Bar, again, just popped into my head, uh, I coached a, um, a, a couple of kids, Nick Plum and Stuart Kepler, and mm-hmm. um, they played for Pierce High School. And they and it's 5'8". They won the state championship three straight years, the state doubles championship, three state straight years. And everything we're saying right now, we put into those kids' games and we would drill it again and again and again. This is when they're 15, 16, 17, and, and you know, it, it was these concepts and these strategies that won them those three state championships. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's funny. The, um, one of the things I've developed myself over the past few years is especially I do the same thing, so, so pick the weakest volley on the court. Um, but also if I'm playing a lefty, so if I'm playing against you, and a right-handed player, before the point, I'll go up to my partner and say, hey, the backhands are in the middle or the backhands are on the outside so that we know, you know, if you get to the net, if both players get to the net, we're going to the backhand volley. So we're either working the middle or, you know, we're not going for an all-out winner down the doubles alley, but we're trying to, you know, dip it at that backhand volley. Yeah. Uh, Just because it's so important and especially at the the 3-5-4-0-4-5 level, most players just don't have a strong backhand volley, especially yeah. if it's against uh, a forehand ground stroke. It's just they're not going to be able to do much with it. So um, really good stuff there. Uh, so a couple of final questions before I let you go. Um, these are kind of rapid-fire questions. What is, what's your favorite tennis book? If you've read some tennis books, I I think um, "Open" by Andre Agassi. I I think it's Mm -hmm. one of the greatest autobiographies ever written, regardless of sport. I just, I I just really enjoyed his no filter. You know, he's ripping everyone. He's ripping himself. He's giving so many, you know, behind the scenes things. So that, that for me is was the number one book that 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 I've read in the sport field. Yeah, great book. What what about a non-tennis book? The Power of One. 
Um, it's about, uh, I don't want to give it away. It's a, it's a boxing. Um, it's about this young boy that grew up in South Africa and all the hardships and all the boxing and um, the power of one is, is a phenomenal read. Okay. Awesome. Uh, what is your favorite tournament to travel to? Wimbledon. Wimbledon and Wimbledon. I mean, I mean the Aussie Open's next. Um, I got to throw that in there. But yeah. if you've never been to Wimbledon, it, it's, it's, it's Disneyland. It's the Masters. It's everything rolled into one. Um, I'm fortunate enough to, to work for the tournament and doing strategy, which I love. Um, you know, grass, the, the grounds, the, every, every blade of grass, is, you know, is pointing in the right direction. The attention to detail is phenomenal. So um, yeah. that's, if you must, if you love tennis and you have not been to Wimbledon, change everything. Got to get yeah. there. You got to go. Not this year though. <laughs> um, all right. So what, this one, um, uh, you, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. I, I don't want to get you in trouble. Who is your favorite player you've coached? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Who's the favorite player that I've coached? You know what? I, I've got to give, and this is a little bit of a funky answer. I didn't, I coached this guy for one match. Essentially, we, we were friends, and it's Dustin Brown when he beat mm-hmm. Rafael Nadal. And what people got to understand is that as a coach, to make an impact and to have such a massive victory, I don't need to be with Dunstan for 52 weeks. I don't need to work on his forehands and backhands. I don't, I don't need to do that. He has somebody else to take care of that. But in order for Dunstan to beat Rafael Nadal, he needs to know Rafa. He needs to know the opponent. So, you know, we had a couple of days to prepare. That was the most fun I've ever had as a coach. Was that was was Dustin beating Rafa on center court at Wimbledon? Um, that 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 had 2015. Is that right? 2015. I mean, and yeah. I, I worked with Novak on four Grand Slams, uh, for, for winning four Grand Slams. But as a specific match, and and Dustin's such a great guy, such yeah. a good friend, such a a great story of his upbringing, and and you know the, the backstory, and and then how he plays and how he dismantled Rafa. Um, that will probably go down as. Um, you know, the, the most special thing that I had, a, you know, I had a part in that um, to, to help Dustin win that match. So that, that was an amazing day. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah, sounds fun. Um, what's, what's a tennis, a story? It can be, this can be coaching on tour. This can be uh, you as a junior player, whatever, a, a tennis story that you've never told anyone. A tennis story. I've never told anyone. Or you've never uh, told the public. <laughs> okay. Um, give me a second here. Yeah. Um, okay, I got one for you. All right. Yeah. So it's it's my best win in college. Best win singles. Mm-hmm. So I, it was when I was at Baylor. I played number one at Baylor. We weren't that good. So I was saying that, you know number one when Baylor became Baylor, they were very good. Um, so we're on a, we, we, we're on a spring break trip. We go to New Orleans area. I think we're at Tulane down there and we're playing a bunch mm-hmm. of schools. And I've got this Swedish guy from University of Utah, I believe, and he's top 10 in the nation. I don't remember exactly, but the guy was good. Um, we basically, coach went to bed. We basically 
desert we one of the we basically designated a driver and we went out after dark and we had a really fun time i mean we we had a as as a team i mean we went out we had a lot to drink um and uh and, and we got home at like six in the morning maybe seven in the morning I, mean, we, I don't think we got home i don't think we slept so we were out partying all night um coach comes in and you know and and i was my my doubles partner and i we were the two worst so we're feeling horrific like really really hungover and coach is like well where are these guys and the other you know it's like well you know we're covering for them but we're trying to get you know a little sleep and trying to sober up a bit so we we we, we drive to the courts um you know we get out of the van we, you know we're both throwing up we're both throwing up um he's playing on the court behind me you know, I remember him, I remember going up to the fence, you know, as was, was during the warm, he goes, hey, come here. I'm like, what? He's throwing up on the court. He's like, I don't think I can play. I'm like, you have to play. You have to, otherwise our cover's done. So I'm playing this Swedish guy. The Swedish guy is so regimented. He's so bouncing around the court. He's got so much energy. I'm looking at him. I'm like, my head hurts looking at this guy. <laughs> I can't move. I, you know, my stomach, I'm, I'm trying not to just throw up again. Um, yeah. So I have no energy on the court. I, I, I'm not running. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm literally, I can't. I can't run. I can't run. It throws this guy for a loop. Who is this guy? Who is this Australian? He's not moving. He's not. I hit a winner. He's not. So it had the effect, and trust me, this was not planned, but it right. had the effect of taking all the energy in the match, which this Swedish guy thrived on, and annihilating it. There's no energy. Yeah. I'm, I'm hitting third serves. I'm walking to balls. I don't care. I'm just <laughs> trying not to throw up. I win the match. I win the match. It was my best college match. If I had have come with energy, if I had have come, albeit, he would have beaten me. I want to know. He would have right. annihilated me. So, um, you know, it's, I it's bet not you kept the, the points short too. Yeah, all, all no rallying whatsoever. Zero. Yeah. Drop, shot, drop shot, drop shot, drop shot, drop shot. Slap it cross. Let him hit three winners. Yeah. It, it just annihilated everything that he wanted to do on the court. So um, I haven't told a lot of people that story, but if you ask, there it is. <laughs> awesome. So that that's a good segue into uh, to your new course. So you've got uh, this Swedish guy on the other side, and you really took him out of his game mentally. Uh, he couldn't stay motivated. Uh, talk a little bit about your new course and then we'll uh, hop off here. Yeah, getting tight is to help players solve the problem of getting tight, which is universal. You know, all players at every level will get out there and we, we were okay in rallying and in practice. But once we start playing points, the arms tighten and, and the shoulder tightens and your brain tightens and your brain explodes and we tap out and it, it's so common at every level. So I, I partnered with Jeff Greenwald Jeff is a registered sports psychologist. He's formerly number one in the world in 35s and 45s. He loves the mental and emotional. I specialize in the strategic. He came to Austin. We filmed this course over a day. Um, and, it, you know, it's very robust. It's a lot of discussions between Jeff and I about, um, about the mental, strategic, and emotional sides of the game. And it's for players that really say, you know what, yes, Craig, um, I struggle here. I, I, I want to be better. I don't want to get angry. I don't want to get frustrated. I know I look stupid out there throwing my racket and, and, and semi-tanking when I can't do it, but I don't 
know a way out of this. And that's what Getting Tight does. So we have a bunch of different scenarios and we talk you through those scenarios. We explain why these things are happening. We explain how to get out of them. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a really, really good course for juniors and for adults and for the top players in the world to make the mental and emotional side of your game a strength of your game because it, it can certainly be a weakness. It was for me as a junior. Um, I was the player that got angry and frustrated when I was losing points. Now, if I'm watching this, I'm like, it's okay to lose points. I'm going to lose points. I'm going to lose 45% yeah. of all points I play. I can make good errors. I have permission to miss. I give my opponent a quota of points. And if I had have had these techniques when I was younger, boy, it would have taken away oh, a lot of frustration, <laughs> especially from my mom and dad watching me play. Me too. I won the, uh, I won the John McEnroe Award at my club. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can relate. I can relate. I was, yeah. I was a terrible kid. Yeah. Um, we awesome. We didn't know any better. We didn't know how to channel it. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to do. No, nobody told me. So, yeah. um, awesome. So we'll link to that below. We'll also link to the doubles courses. People should definitely check those out. Yeah. Uh, Craig, great chatting with you. Um, thanks well, my for pleasure. Uh, stopping by, and um, I'm sure we'll do it again in the future. Terrific. All right. Well, peace out. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Doubles Only Podcast. If you're interested in diving deeper into any topics I discuss, I've created double strategy products that allow me to bring you more podcasts and other doubles content without relying on paid ads. I have ebooks and courses that help you make better strategic decisions during matches and become the smartest player on the court. Go to thetennistribe.com slash products to learn more. You can also join my free weekly double strategy newsletter that includes video lessons and more on our homepage. If you want to connect, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email me directly, will at thetennistribe.com.